Hey guys, good morning. Is it still morning? Still morning, by a little bit. We're, we're getting close. Hey, I open your Bibles to 1 John, and I'll tell you, 1 John is not to be confused with the Gospel of John. Okay, so John wrote five books. He wrote the Gospel that we're probably the most familiar with, and he also wrote Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And then he wrote these three letters right here in the middle of, uh, well, kind of near the end, actually. Um, they're the first and second and third epistle of John. You'll see them in your Bible. There's a one in front of his name, one John, two John, three John. Those are his letters, not his gospel. And we're going to spend some time today in 1 John chapter 1. But before we do, I want to let you know that we're going to be doing a series um, starting, I, don't, I forget, Quig, a couple weeks, three weeks, something, sometime soon, two. Hope it's not, is it next week? After Pentecost, whenever that happens to be, on um, the book of Proverbs. So if you've never if you've never read through Proverbs, I'll give you a tip. Uh, Proverbs has thirty one chapters, and you could make it as a habit on the first of the month to read Proverbs one, and on the second of the month read Proverbs two, on the third Proverbs three. Okay, you just caught the pattern. Um, and so we're going to do a series. We're going to kind of pull out. Um, Proverbs is filled with wisdom. The, the glory of this book is that if you want to grow wise which is a really good goal. When, when Kelly and I were falling in love, one of the things that she, I remember her talking about, we were college students, was her desire to grow wise. Not to assume that she is wise, but to become wise over time. And the book of Proverbs is a great resource to that end. And so we're gonna spend, spend several weeks, probably eight weeks or so in the book of Proverbs. But between here and there, what we're doing is looking at the lectionary. And the lectionary is this kind of collection of suggested Bible readings. Every week, we are given a, a psalm and a gospel. When you usually, we re- usually read those together, but there's also a, an additional passage from the Old Testament and an additional reading from the New Testament. And so in this kind of intervening series, you may have noticed sometimes it seems like we're reading random, looking at random passages. It's 99% the chance that if we're not in a series, we're actually drawing from these readings in the lectionary. And this morning's lectionary reading is 1 John chapter 1. And when I saw that, I was delighted because this is a fantastically important passage. I have probably walked through, just personally one-on-one, walked through 1 John chapter 1, I don't even know. I mean, maybe not, a hun- maybe not hundreds of times, but maybe a hundred times because it's so absolutely central. And I'm really excited that we can take a look at it and just kind of slow it down and unpack what's, what's in here because I think we really need to understand what John is saying in 1 John. So here it is. We're going to begin in verse 5, and we'll just cross the border just a little bit into chapter 2. Here's what he says. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us or cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then in chapter two, he says this, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay? Now, what John does as he begins, he's going to make a very particular declarative statement. He says, God is light. Okay? 
Now, when he does this, this is probably self-evident, but let's just bring it out. He's not being literal, right? He's not saying that God is like a ray, you know, a foe, a, a ray of photons or something. Rather, he's being metaphorical. What he's saying is there's something about light that resembles God. Now, sometimes we'll think of it in the, in the reverse direction as if God resembles light, but he's the original. Light is the Light is the secondary thing, right? But there's something, if we look at light and we know what light is like, we know what light does, that might give us insight into something that's true about God. And whatever those things are, he wants us to draw to mind this morning. Make sense? So, what is light? What does light do? Just think in your normal, ordinary, ordinary, everyday experience, what does light do? And that's a real question. This will be a dialogue, so I'd love, to guys, love you guys to jump in. What, is, what does light actually do? It exposes things. Very good. What was this? It dispels darkness. Excellent. So it makes it, it reveals, it shows. It takes things that were otherwise hidden. Like if we were to like, you know, blacken the windows and kill the lights, we'd all be plunged into darkness and nobody would know what anybody was doing or what anybody was wearing. We'd all, everything would be lost. But the lights come back on. Now I can see, oh, I see where you're sitting. I see what you're doing. And now things are revealed. So light, the most fundamental sense is that light is a revealer of things. Okay? So God is light. Perhaps one of the things that, that, that John is saying is that God reveals. There's something about his, his insight, his vision into things, okay? Second thing, um, if you think about light in the Bible, when light is used metaphorically in the scriptures, what does it tend to represent there? Not just in ordinary life, but can you think of a biblical passage that talks about light and how does it use it? What does light represent? Might be a little harder, but there's, there's a handful of things that we might go to here. Catherine? Okay, yeah, the light of life. So there's some sense of like, it's good, right? There's some beneficial thing we might think of like, you know, sunshine is gonna make, every, without sun, like everything is gone. There's something, it's always, it's always cast in positive terms, right? Light is never like bad news. It's always good news. Quick, what did you say? Or did somebody, one of you said? Holiness, right? Okay, absolutely. So light, right? Yes, so. Yes, okay, so 1 Timothy 6 maybe says that God lives in light and approachable, hid from our eyes. And what's, I think, what's kind of being invoked there is this, when you, when you say that God is like a blinding light, what we probably mean there is that he is holy. He is like ineffably sublime, right? He is holy and he's got to burn me up by the glory of his sheer presence, okay? So we could stop there. There's more, there's more things we could pick on, but if we just take those two concepts that God is light. What does that mean? Well, something about revealing, exposing, seeing, things no longer being hidden. And if it also kind of invokes or connotes this notion of holiness, then those two things combined are potentially extremely bad news, right? So if God is holy and he sees everything, then he sees me and he perhaps takes note of my unholiness. So right out of the gate, God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. This should initially be like, okay, where are you going with this? All right? Second thing he's going to say that I think is kind of worth pulling on here. He says in verse six, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Okay? Now just think about, tease this out. He's saying if God is light, if he sees everything, if he is holy, and you're saying, yeah, I was spending time with God in the dark. Then John is saying, well, that's not a thing. It would be a little bit like if you were to tell me that, you're gonna, that you spent last summer in the Sahara Desert in the shade 
then I'm going to say, no, you didn't. Because there isn't any shade in the Sahara Desert. You were either in the Sahara in the sun or you were in the shade someplace else. But these two things can't coexist. If If you're telling me that you are with him but you're hidden, then I think you're not really telling the truth. In fact, he's a little less polite than I am. He says, you're lying, right? Now, we gotta think about this. Why would we say that? Why would that happen? Why would it be that we want to be with him, but we don't wanna be in the light? And this isn't that hard to tease out if you're at all self-aware, right? We like to hide because it's scary. It is frightening to come out of the darkness and into this place of exposure where all that I am can be seen and observed perhaps evaluated. In fact, Jesus says men love the darkness and they hate the light because their deeds are evil. And I, that resonates with me. Do you not know what that's like to have like a secret that you don't want anybody to know? And like, it, it's, a, it's a frightening thing. And so what John is doing is he's saying, listen, I get it. I understand that you have a strong motive to like stay hidden in the shadows, but let's just understand one thing. If that's your modus operandi, if you're gonna be like, hidden in the shadows is simply not possible for you to be walking with God because he is there is no darkness in him it's all light it's all seen so you're going to have to make a decision do you want to walk with him and yet be in the light or do you want to continue to love the darkness but not be with him because it's one or the other these things can't coexist make sense where he's going okay so it's scary right this is a scary text it's going to get better just stay with me what he's going to do is he's going to open up this, this possibility that maybe, just maybe, something might call us out of the dark, hidden places and into his light. Maybe there's a benefit. Maybe there's a whole host of benefits if we are willing to take that potentially terrifying step to come out of the hidden shadows and into the light. Here's what, here's what he says in verse 7. He says, but listen, I know it's scary, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Okay, there's some really big benefits. We'll get to those in a second. But the first thing I want you to do, I want you to notice when he uses this phrase, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that phrase is very, very often misunderstood. We have an incredibly strong um, tendency to moralize everything. And what I, if, if, if you read that and you read, if we walk in the light, if what that means, if what that metaphor carries out is like, be good, just knock it off. Stop walking in the darkness being bad. Walk in the light and be good. If that's how you hear that, then I think you're missing out on the sweetness that John is offering, okay? So let me unpack this for you. In English, normal poetry, we've got a lot of poetic forms, but our general most kind of default form of poetry is that we rhyme words, right? The last word, the last syllable, the end of the line's got to sound just like the last line of the last word of the next line, okay? We rhyme words. Hebrew poetry, which John is going to draw from, doesn't rhyme words, it rhymes ideas, okay? So we'll say something, and then it'll say the same thing again in different words, but the words rhyme. I'll give you an example of this. If we're going to, Proverbs is full of this. We're going to study the Proverbs. I'll give you an early tip. Proverbs 22 says this. Listen for the rhyme, the idea rhyme. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Do you hear the rhyme? A good name rhymes with being esteemed and great riches rhymes with silver and gold, okay? Now that same pattern of communication is what John is about to do here in verse six, seven, eight, and nine. I want you to see this because if we can unpack the rhyme, 
then it's going to give us insight into what he means when he says walk in the light, okay? So, Roger, throw this on screen, brother. You got verse 6 and 7. Here it is. Here's what John says. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, and that's the phrase we're going to, uh, uh, oh, no, not yet. If we, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, and there's our phrase. I want you to keep an eye on that. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. Okay, that's the first statement. It's a lot of words. Here it is again, though. It's gonna say, verse eight and nine, but if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, now Roger, go ahead and throw them up side by side here. Watch this. Verse six rhymes with verse eight. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie. That's the same as saying, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and we do not practice the truth and the truth is not in us. Line by line, these are saying the exact same thing, right? So far so good? That part's relatively clear, but here it is, the second part, which also rhymes. Verse seven and nine, Roger. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the same thing as if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. He forgives our sin, cleanses us from all, it's the same thing. But notice the purple lines. It's the purple parts that I want you to notice. The parallel here in the purples is that what it means to walk in the light is to confess our sins, okay? Walking in the light is not a metaphor for being good. And that's good news because if the key to being forgiven is being good, well, then that's not going to help me at all because that was the problem I was dealing with in the first place is that it's hard to do a good job. It's hard to do right things. There's all kinds of pressures functioning within me and upon me that make me screw it up. And if the, if the, if the solution to my life is just be good, knock it off, then I'm in a world of hurt. I need another solution. And what John is offering to us is this other solution that we step out of the darkness and into the light. And when we do that, when we actually confess our sins, when I live my life in an exposed way, where I'm no longer hidden, but the reality of what I am and who I am and what I've done and why I did it, when all of that leaves the shadows and comes into the illuminated spaces, a whole bunch of benefits begin to flow. All right, you hear the argument that he's making? Now, let's look for a second at the benefits. The first benefit is this. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now think about how this works, okay? We all wanna be in relationship. We all wanna experience intimacy in, in our lives. But we've also got a lot of tendencies to hide in the shadows. And so what often does happen is that, uh, let, let's say I'm friends with Nick, right? And I wanna be, I wanna have a friendship with Nick. But, I'm not sure if Nick would like me, the actual me, all that much. And so what I do is I kind of step to the side and I create this projection of me. I kind of clean the thing up. I hide a bunch of stuff and there's this projection, this avatar, if you will, of Tim. And I want this avatar to be friends with Nick. But the thing is, Nick's got the same issues that I do. And so Nick has also stepped to the side and Nick is creating this artificial version of Nick, the cleaned up version. And the avatar of Tim is friends with the avatar of Nick, but neither one of us actually knows each other because it's all play, it's all dress up and it's all pretend. What John is saying is if you will stop that process of hiding the real you 
while projecting this artificial cleaned up version. Then there becomes the actual possibility of real fellowship, of real intimacy, because I know the real Nick, and Nick knows the real Tim, and now our friendship has the possibility to actually be deepened and not just be like, you know, the Wizard of Oz playing with this other Wizard of Oz, but nobody knows the man behind the curtain. Do you, you with me on this? And not only that, not only does the real Tim get to know the real Nick, because we're not playing games anymore, but we have also have this opportunity to marvel that the grace of God is not a shell game that it's actually a real thing and we can forgive each other. We can know what it is to be forgiven and we can delight and rejoice that God also knows the real us, not just the fake projection and loves the real me, not just the fake me. And now there's the possibility for real relationship and real joy, okay? Now, it was scary to get there because the dark feels safe. The hidden, the hidden places, have. there's a reasons. We have strong incentives to stay hidden in the place. But if we'll step out, man, all kinds of good stuff can actually flow and our lives are enriched. Instead of this game, if you walk into a Christian community and you notice that everybody's got their act together, or it seems like they do, then you very quickly conclude like, well, I get the rules, project, and let everything be perfect and fake, right? But you guys, you have two options. We all have two options and here they are. This is the whole menu. You can look better and get worse. Or you can look worse and get better. Those are your only options in life. What John is saying is, listen, I know there's a huge compulsion to say, listen, if you think that life's about moral perfection and you try that and it doesn't work very well and you realize, ah, I can't do it. Well, then you're like, well, I better fake it because that's the rules. Everybody's living in this morally perfect world and now I gotta project. But if you opt for that and now there's this fake projection, if you're looking better, what is actually happening, you guys? You're gonna get worse, that's how it is. And John is specifically saying, no, 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 don't do that. Drop it, drop the facade, come out of the shadows, step into the light, be willing to look worse. And I promise you what will happen is you actually get better because Point two, it's not just that the blood of Jesus, not just that we have fellowship with one another, but the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. He really does. If we will confess our sins, if we will acknowledge these things, then we actually begin to get better. He forgives us, which is amazing. That's part of what's understood in cleansing, that he wipes it all away. He doesn't hold us accountable for our misdeeds and our failures, but it also means that he begins to actually fix us. That because we submit to the surgeon, he can actually do his work. And he can begin to do the things that all the hiddenness, all the fake, all the pretense. And some of us have very, very strong motives, very strong incentives to keep up an artificial world. He says, yeah, it's killing you. It's killing you. But if you will drop it, then the cleansing begins and we actually get better. The, the performative artifice that defines your life, let it go. Let it go and be cleansed. And he will forgive us. Okay? So far, so good? A couple more things, just a couple things. This word confess in Hebrew, I mean in Greek, the word is homo legeo. It's same word, homo, same, logos, you hear the word. To confess, the essence of confession is to say the same word. You're just acknowledging what the reality is. This is what happened, and I'm gonna acknowledge it, that my word will match what happened. It's the same thing. It's a statement of agreement, essentially. I agree this is what I did. I agree that it is wrong. But we can also agree that it's really been paid for by Jesus that it's not just some bad thing that needs to be beaten all the time, but it's something that Jesus went to the cross for, okay? Now, here's what I want you to hear, and my clock is ticking so fast. 
You guys, all of this is happening and John is communicating to a people like us that are fearful. It's scary to come out of the darkness and there's good reasons that you want to stay there. And John is trying to call you out. He's trying to say, no, 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 I know, I know, I know, but just, just come in. Come into the light. There's so much goodness in the light. If you live in an open, acknowledging way about your badness and your brokenness, stop the thing, okay? And so he's got one more trick up his sleeve to call us out. And I want you to see what it is because it's, kind of, uh, it's kind of surprising what he's about to do here. He says this. This is, what is this, verse 9. Is this verse 9? Yeah. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you to think about this. If you're afraid to come out of the darkness and into the light, and he's trying to say, let me tell you what God is like. Let me tell you what's going to happen if you do. And then he pulls on two adjectives to describe God. He's faithful and he's just. God is faithful and just. And I think that at first blush, that's a very odd choice for John to make. And here's why. Let's imagine that you've committed a crime. I don't know what you would do, but let's just imagine and say that you have a neighbor who does a terrible job managing their dandelions. And you hate this, okay? And so you work on your yard and you're killing your dandelions and you're digging them up by the root, but your neighbor never does. And every, man, it's just like they turn yellow and that's okay. They're ugly, but that's okay. The real bad thing is when they turn white and then they just start blowing into your yard and you hate that. So you finally go talk to them and the conversation goes really, really badly, just for say. And in fact, it goes so badly that you shoot his dog because you're so incensed, okay? And now, this is all theory, and now you get arrested. Did you know it's a crime to shoot somebody's dog? Okay, so you get arrested, you go to jail, they bring you before the judge, and you don't know which judge it's gonna be, but you got two options. We have two judges in this town. One is a stickler. He is just, he follows the letter of the law, and if you go before him, ah, it's gonna be terrifying because he's a just judge. But we have this other judge, super softy right? Totally just like a pushover. And if you can just squeeze out a tear on the stand, you're going to get off because this guy is mercy, 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 mercy. Okay. Now let me ask you, which judge do you want? The just one or the merciful one? Do you not want the merciful judge? Okay. Well, if that's the case, and if John is trying to reassure you, then why does he say, and I quote, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Should he not have said, that he is faithful and merciful to forgive our sin? Why does he say that God is just to somebody that's like trying to work up the courage to step out of the darkness? Here's, I think, why. That in the gospel, what we have is the opportunity to appeal to the justice of God, even in the midst of our badness and our darkness, because Jesus has fully paid the penalty for our sin. And it would in fact be unjust if Jesus paid for it and then you gotta pay for it a second time, something has gone off the rails. You guys, we do not need to go before God with our fingers crossed hoping that he's in a good mood and maybe, just maybe, he'll show mercy to us. Quite to the contrary, we can go before him boldly and we can demand justice. Because Jesus has fully paid the penalty of our sin. I'm not suggesting that we would go before him with disrespect, for he is our life. He is the greatest thing in our world, and we ought to always engage with him with the deference that is due the holy and gracious and loving God.
But we do not need to hope that maybe he'll be merciful. We can go in the full confidence that he will be just because Jesus has paid the penalty, which is exactly what John says next. Check this out. He says in the, in the last part of the, or he's going to chapter two. He says, my little children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. But listen to this. If anyone does, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus the righteous. You guys, Jesus' advocacy for us is not the kind of thing. He doesn't go before the Father and say, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. There were extenuating circumstances. He had a very good reason for doing this. Well, she was under this kind of pressure, and that's why it is. And so I feel like he's not, he doesn't argue technicalities. We're guilty. We just are. It's just done. Like, it's over. So stop the game playing. His advocacy is not based to find a way to make something that we've done exculpatory. His advocacy is to say, he did it. Full guilt. But I paid for it. The next line that John says is that he is the propitiation for our sins. There's a couple defense attorneys in the room right now. Brad Thompson is a defense attorney. He has never gone before a judge and says, my client is guilty, but I paid his penalty. Has that ever happened? Never. Will that ever happen? Not ever. Jesus is our advocate, but he's an entirely different sort of advocate. He goes in not to try to get us off on some game, we are guilty, but he paid the penalty. And therefore, we can demand justice because the price has been paid. You guys, what, what John is trying to invite us to do, he's calling us out, stay out, come out of the shadows. They feel safe, but they're incredibly dangerous. Bad things happen in the dark. Step into the light, experience real intimacy and real relationships, confess your sins, and you'll have this fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus really will really will cleanse you because he is an extraordinary advocate and he loves you. So come out of the shadows, confess your sins, and be cleansed. Be of good cheer, he loves you. Jesus, we love you. Who else could possibly do what we so desperately needed done? Who else could propitiate the sins of a world of sinners? Who would if they could? But you can and you did and we love you for it. I pray that you might call people out of scary places and into what seems even more frightening in your light, but in fact is the place of life and wholeness. We love you, love you, love you. Amen.